Hey everyone, how's it going? Kind of inviting some people up. What's up, Baldy? How's it going, buddy? Doing well. I was gonna. We're gonna share out this space. Hopefully, get it on some discords. Of course, on Twitter. Um, it looks like Jake was able to make it up. Awesome. XOAO should be up momentarily. There he is. Um, I'm going to try to play a song just to cover the next minute or so. I'm going to try it on my phone while we're in a space. I've never done that before, but might give that a go. I hope it sounds all right. Let's, uh, let's give it a try. Are you guys uh, making a tweet from the main Cardoskull account? So I think we are just getting situated. Quantum is getting some stuff set up. Uh, hey, Jake, how's it going, man? Can you hear me okay? Okay, well, maybe that didn't work. I don't know. Hopefully that was okay. <laughs> that might have been a failed experiment, but welcome, everybody. Can you hear me all right? Yep, you're good. Cool. Did that music work, or was that just total failure? Yeah, unfortunately, that was a failure, oh, my no. friend. Okay, lesson learned. Well, we're here. Awesome. Thanks for everyone. Let's definitely share it out if you're able. It looks like um, Jake got maybe kicked out. Sorry about that. I was like, I'm going to try this music thing because I guess I got to listen to it. But um, yeah, I guess you have to have your computer going and kind of do a multi-rig situation. But hey, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, what's good, guys? Yeah, I had to, I had to leave and come back. I was getting rugged. It like, would not let me get off mute for a second. So okay. what's up, buddies? Hey, so good to have you here today. Hey, Jake. Yeah, I guess I'll tell you real quick. Yeah, I had a kind of a plan. I was going to play one of Honeycomb's song, kind of been digging into his music. He's a um, just a really talented individual. We hope to have him on a, on a space here in the future. But, you know, beatboxing, piano, uh, DJ, other instruments. So, I don't know. I guess shout out to him and go check him out if you haven't on YouTube. Wherever you listen to music, check out um, Honeycomb. But yeah, today, welcome everyone. How's your day going, XOAO and Jake? Uh, day's, day's going pretty good so far. I'm going to be completely honest. I just woke up like maybe an hour and a half ago, <laughs> getting a, a late start out here uh, in sunny Vegas, but excited to be here. It's been, this is the first space I've done in probably about a month or two. Yeah, hey, hey everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just outside, like, finishing my dog walk, so there might be some background noise, but uh, I'm a fan of, you know, dogs and cats, moon cats as well, <laughs> um, and obviously skulls, but yeah, good to have you, Jake. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool, Jake. Yeah, it's nice to have you on a space. You know, XOAO and I have been trying to host some community spaces just about weekly with folks, um, you know, mostly that whole crypto skulls and, you know, artists that are in the community, but then also, you know, expanding out beyond that. Cause you know, I think we're all involved in a lot of projects. So it's awesome to see you here and yeah, thank you so much for, um, you know, making the time to join us on a call today. But um, let's see some quick announcements. I just want to cover a little bit of news with crypto skulls before we dive into the conversation about you and your history and, you know, your overlap and your, your, 
your overlap with crypto skulls, but then also your passion with Mooncats and the future and community building and all of that. Um, but yeah, the biggest update for folks that haven't seen it related to crypto skulls is it, you, you should definitely be on that lookout for the Friday um, AMA with Alex Slayer that's happening. Um, I think it's 1.30 Eastern. We can post something here to the top here in a second when Jake starts talking. But yeah, it's a pretty special event. You know, we're in a space right now and there's going to be a space on Friday with Alex. I think it's, um, you know, maybe his second time. I definitely know it's his second. I don't know if there's been maybe a third or fourth, but yeah, definitely a second AMA. Um, and this is going to be recorded this time. I think that's one of the lessons from, you know, a lot of the earlier spaces this year that just kind of got lost into Twitter land and the abyss. Um, but yeah, folks should really tune into that if you're interested in the future and past of crypto skulls and just really, you know, hearing from Alex himself is is gold. So um, I'm really excited for that. I think most of us in the room today are excited for that as well. There's going to be some giveaways. Um, an Irish NFT gal will be co-hosting that alongside Alex, who mostly speaks Russian, and there will be a translator too. So. There's other news in the works, but yeah, definitely a plug for that Friday space. And then also next Tuesday, we'll be chatting with Adam McBride. Um, kind of similar today, just, you know, one of our goals is really like learning about people's stories and the history um, and trying to learn from that and be inspired by that. So that's why we're here today with Jake. And yeah, really excited to dig into some of your history, Jake. Well, first, thank you to you guys for inviting me. I think it's pretty cool that the schools community actually always has a rotating uh, group of hosts. I, I don't see any other community doing that. So I think that's very special. And I'll definitely have to tune in to the spaces with Alex. I don't think I've heard him speak at all. So I know that's actually quite a, quite a rare occurrence as well. But you guys have been crushing it. I saw the school's floors up recently um and you guys have all been making some adjustments just as the historical nft community kind of has um after that uh, that de that debate that was kind of like a debacle in the community what was that towards like the end of april with the, the vintage versus historical conversation that kind of got the kind of put a barrier up but it seems like the community the overall historical community is now kind of banded a little bit more together since uh you know just some some infighting is generally necessary for for growth yeah absolutely that was a, a very lively multi-hour discussion i think a lot of us attended that space but yeah i think that has been something really cool that i've you know i, I guess leonidas has really kind of led the way in a lot of that and blue of course too early on is just yeah how do we um you know how do we communicate and how do we network with you know so many communities because i think that is the reality especially for yourself and myself and boldy and you know everyone here like we're overlapped to a lot of communities like we're not siloed into one usually you know i'm sure somebody out there is just holding one group and very dedicated to that but you know, I think that's what's cool about the NFT space is you can be part of so many communities. Um, you know, shout out to Irish NFT gal who's in the audience right now, too. Um, you know, really doing a lot of good networking with V1 Punks. And I think, you know, you noted kind of the floor rise and some sweeping that happened earlier in the week. And, you know, that was just a lot from, you know, people believing in the project, some V1 Punks, you know, joining the community. Um, and that was really exciting. You know, there's an awesome space on Friday as well with Leonidas. But let's get into you, Jake, since you're the focus today. 
Um, and if you're okay, like I kind of am interested in taking it pretty linearly in a linear fashion, um, kind of like, you know, stepping back in time, kind of your pre crypto life and like your experiences and kind of, um, to my understanding, you got into like Bitcoin and other chains before Ethereum, but yeah, could you take us back in time and just kind of, kind of set the stage to, um, you know, what ended up happening in 2021 and then how, where we are today. But yeah, let's like go back in time and do a little time travel. Oh man. I, I love doing some, some good old time traveling. Um, my story, it's uh, kind of all over the place. So I'll try to um, piece it all together chronologically. Um, for most people that know that follow me, uh, I live out here in Las Vegas, born and raised um, actually quite a small, amount of people from that live out in Vegas that are from here. It's, I think it's less than 20%. So we are unicorns kind of in our own city of Sin City, which everyone kind of has their own different view of, of what this city actually means, um, which I'll get back into that in a second. Uh, went, went to UNLV, graduated with a degree in kinesiology, um, just as most of us millennials who graduate from from University, do not use that degree or professionally in any way, which is um, a lot of my, my friends and colleagues. Um, when I went off after graduating from UNLV, um, and during that time, I was uh, working across the Las Vegas Strip. I worked uh, at a pool for five years, and then I worked at uh, one of the top nightclubs in the world uh, called Omnia Nightclub. Uh, for those that have been to Vegas, that was the one, it's the one that holds like Calvin Harris and Tiesto, Steve Aoki. Um, and I have a funny story with Steve Aoki I'll get to in a second. And so the, the, that, that opportunity opened my eyes to a lot of different things in life, whether it's how fast can you generate capital to kind of the ways that society, um, the way that society and culture um it kind of acts around large amounts of money and what, what the like preferential structures are and how uh, culture kind of prefers to th this like lavish lifestyle and has their priorities kind of not in the way that's portrayed um, through, through TV and, and through the media. And um, after I graduated from UNLV, I got into to entrepreneurship. Uh, my first business was actually an antique store. Uh, grew up um, kind of in the, the like lower economic class or socioeconomic class. And so I uh, used to go on like storage uh, war hunts with my father and Yartik uh, and going to Yartik sales and liquidation sales. And that, that two to three year uh, experience in my life kind of really set me up for the digital antiquity space that we sit in now. Um, during that time, uh, towards the late, 2016, uh, came across Ethereum. It was actually called the Ethereum Project at the time on Reddit. Um, I think that was like the summer of 2016. And the idea of smart contracts was, was very intriguing to me. Um, but for some reason, I, I never really put the financial component together to it. I thought, you know, just disintermediating uh, middlemen seemed like a novel idea. But the financial component to me just like did not make sense. Um, and so then during that time, also try to start a ticket verification app called Chameleon Verified Network, which basically fought ticket fraud. Um, so it's like simultaneously doing three, three different things at one time and got into Forex at the end of that year. That's kind of where I learned how to trade. 
and then uh, after, let's see, where do we go from here? Oh, uh, and then in 2018, uh, my life almost fell apart completely. Uh, just I got really stuck and entrenched in the the party scene in Las Vegas, and spent a lot of money, made a lot of dumb decisions, got involved in uh, you know substance abuse and the drug culture, and I actually went so- completely sober for three years during that time from 2018 to 2021. No smoking, no drinking, no nothing, and really decided that I wanted to to fix my life. And, uh, you know, there's, there's times where we go out and spend thousands of dollars at the strip club or whatever, uh, attraction Vegas was offering at the time. And, uh, it was a, it was a cool, cool time, but that's, that was during the depths of the bear market. And I was taking a lot of, uh, money that I was making at the nightclub and just investing in Dogecoin and Bitcoin from 20, uh, nine, 2018, 19 and 20. Um, and also during that time, uh, during 2017, uh, I was trading a bunch of shit coins. That's when I really got into it. And I'd made a bunch of money and I put it every single sat that I'd made in 2017 into an ICO, um, kind of at the top of the market. I think this was around like March of 2018 and uh, completely lost everything. So I had to start all over again um, during the middle of 2018. And uh, it, was a, it was a crazy, crazy time for a few years. And then uh, once, once Dogecoin started popping back off, or popping off. It was the first altcoin to pop off in 2021. Um, I had taken some of that money that I'd made and decided where I wanted to put it. And as we all know, during March of 2021, the rediscovery of Mooncats is kind of what like set off the NFT archaeological movement. And instantly, that all made sense to me coming from uh, an antiques background. At the time, Mooncats were considered the second oldest NFT, which we know now is like not even anywhere close to, to that. Um, and so I was just took a, like half of my Dogecoin profits and started just buying Mooncats from literally the top of like, I think it was like a one and a half ETH floor at the time, all the way down to like 0.1 and tried to understand kind of more, more about digital antiquities. And I think during that time, Curio Cards, Ethereum, Mooncats and CryptoCats were all rediscovered within like a 48 hour period. And kind of like one of my breakout moments was towards the end of the summer 2021. I got, uh, I was uh, in an open dialogue on Twitter with uh, Noah Davis, who's now was just hired by Yuga Labs. Um, He was the Christie's NFT guy. Um, He was, we were, he was interested in uh, auctioning off a full uh, Mooncat set, which there can only be three that exist, which just means that it's a Mooncat minted in every year, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I don't know, that that obviously did not happen, um, but we were in private conversations. I don't know if that like caught Sotheby's attention, but uh, Michael uh, and Michael who works for, and Max who work for Sotheby's, they ended up privately messaging me towards the end of summer and said that they were interested in auctioning off some Mooncats at their natively digital 1.2 auction. And so that was like a big breakout moment for me and uh, ended up selling three Mooncats at the Sotheby's auction, which was really cool. I got to sell stuff with like Paris Hilton and Steve Aoki. And uh, that's where I met like from Baroque was hosting the spaces and people like Hackatow and Pranksy and all these people. So I was in these like Twitter spaces with, you know, a lot of these different legends 
And uh, it really just helped me understand and, and network with some of the, the cool individuals that were, that were in the space. And there was kind of a cool, a cool funny moment where we were, tw- where we were uh, in the Twitter spaces and Steve Aoki was in there and I was talking and he was talking and I was telling him how, you know, I used to serve his, his tables. I literally bust his, his uh, the private, the DJ booth uh, for Steve Aoki at Omnia with his parents for his birthday and so it was like a full full like cool circle moment of uh now that we're both on stage doing this i don't have to bust this table anymore and uh since then i was like and after the sotheby's auction my twitter account was growing and i was creating all those videos for the mooncat ecosystem and this is when i realized uh what the historical nft community needed and uh just just as the physical antique antiquity space and the digital antiquity space uh, there needs to be a large source of, of information and, and storytelling because that's where the value comes from, uh, which is in quite contrast from the modern NFT space, which is, I just say it's 2021 and 2022 so far, which is full of uh, flippers and, and branding and marketing. The The opposite side is just full of history and innovation and uh, ideology, philosophy, semantics, which, you know, could be quite painful at times because nobody's ever going to be satisfied with whatever the definition is that's ascribed to whatever collection or, or meaning it is. Um, and so since then, and I've been trying to uh, take a more macro approach to it. Um, you know, I, I'm a mod, I'm a Mooncat mod and I've been a mod since the very beginning, but I've been trying to, um, provide more information and, and be more inclusive to those who want to come into the historical space and want to find the community and uh, just need to, need to find or source different information from the video library to these, these different, you know, infographics to just making sure that they're, they're in the right place to help them make the right decision. And that's kind of like where we've landed now. Um, and I've, my trading style is now, uh, a little bit different from what it was about a year ago, but I'm still now in the current position where I'm trying to take more of a leadership role in the overall community to just p- provide as much infrastructure as possible for when the next, you know, five to 50 million people that enter the, the NFT space over the next bull run. Uh, a lot of those are going to eventually come to the historical space and we just need to be able to create a, a frictionless experience for them so that they can decide what community is best for them because it can be quite intimidating. And, you know, you go into the NFT relics discord and everyone's arguing with each other. You go into Adam's discord and everyone's arguing with each other and uh, it could be just a giant, giant turnoff. So um, that's, kind of, that's kind of where we're at now, I think in the historical space, but it seems like there's much more inclusion than there was six months ago and definitely a year ago. Um, and we're all trying figuring out each other's strengths. And uh, these conversations like this is kind of what helps, helps a lot of people find those different communities um, that are more privy to, to their appeal um, rather than just uh, following a, a influencer's direction, um, which they don't know what, why influencers are actually showing what they are. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why I really admire this, uh, 
this community that we're building. Uh, it's completely opposite from what we see in this uh, more modern and trading styles. Although we do have some sort of properties that uh, eventually are going to have to integrate into it. Uh, it's a much more slower and collector's base. And uh, I think it's a little bit more family oriented. Yeah, I agree with you there. And yeah, the resources that you're putting together are super great. I do want to dig into those a little bit more here in a second, but I had a question related to kind of the earlier days that you were doing the IRL collecting and antiques. Did you have a specific like focus on what you were collecting or I'm just curious um, on like how did that process over those three years and like the experience there, what, what did you learn from it and be able to translate over to kind of last year and this year related to historical NFTs? What's like the big lesson? And I am curious, did you have a specific focus on items that you were collecting or really into? Yeah, we were, we were pretty open. Uh, my father was really big into uh, mid-century furniture. And so we had a bunch of that and I realized it didn't really sell. And the antique store really taught me about like what value is and how everyone can uh, ascribe a different value system to whatever their background is or that nostalgic feeling. I think that's why pixel art does really well is because a lot of the, or the, the majority of the, uh, of the monetary pool that exists um, is held by, you know, millennials and, and, and zennials. And that's kind of what they grew up on with like Atari and, and Sega and Super Nintendo. But it seemed to me that the the smaller things always did really well and things that were generally firsts or kind of like in that area. Uh, I'd say the the best-selling items that we had were like old school typewriters, um, very old salt and pepper shakers that had to do with like some sort of uh, moment, momentous time in somebody's life. Um, what else do we have? Uh, old old radios did really well and then we also had this like kind of like man cave back area with just like old sports memorabilia because that that always does well especially being in vegas that's a very diverse city there's always a unique person coming in from a from a a unique background and so you never really knew what what who was going to walk through the door you know that's kind of like the the pawn star thing that they say which is also out in las vegas um so it's just like there there was never a particular way uh, furniture definitely didn't do as well more of the small novelty items um but i think the the thrill of like going to the yard sale and, and picking or going to liquidation sales or storage units that was like half the fun because of the relationships that you meet and i've noticed some of the similarities between <clears throat> excuse me that experience and nft experiences you kind of like get a person or a guy for for a specific niche and this this is kind of like starting to pop up in the historical space where you know i've I've become the mooncat guy and there's somebody that's a skulls guy and there's somebody who's a curio person and then there's somebody who's a counterparty person who understands all the nuances to that and then you kind of go to them to find the best deals and in the historical space, a lot of the the large deals are actually done OTC, which is not typical a typical thing in the modern space. Where right, most of the flippers are putting 
are, are selling things on OpenSea for that price history because that's very important to uh, the the gradual increase of, of value of that asset where in the collector space, in physical antiques and digital antiquities, most of the things are done through private deals because uh, it's most people who are collecting can kind of form their own conclusion without having to have the herd backing them. And so they move much slower. And this is, it was, it's like a big a similarity as well. I mean, we even just saw, I think uh, Zero G tweeted today how he's doing an OTC deal for uh, a full Kiro card set. And that's not something that's going to pop up on, on OpenSea, but it does happen privately. And those are the kind of things that you kind of have to understand the nuances in this space is uh, I've done a lot of, I would say probably half of my Mooncat deals have been over the counter and uh, a lot of the private or a lot of sales that I did in the antique store are also over the counter as well. Maybe it's not done through the antique store itself, but they're done at the yard sales where you, you know, you barter and you trade and I've traded moon cats for skulls and I've traded moon cats for kill cards and a lot of uh, other collect uh, collections. And um, I think that's kind of the uniqueness is it gives a lot of uh, arbitrage opportunity that exists in the historical space. And it won't be like that forever once the infrastructure is really built out over the next few years. So just really take, take advantage of it because uh, history is that it's kind of this like underlying value or this foundation that no other assets will really sit on and uh, historical significance or cultural significance or technological significance. There's, there's few variations to it it's interpreted much differently between every other individual uh, as a lot of us, we argue, right? Like what, what do you, what do you prioritize most? Is it the timestamp? Is it the technical innovation? Is it the cultural significance? There's like a handful of these uh, that could be kind of in like a rank choice order. And uh, that gives a lot of room to, to operate in the area that, that we exist in. Um, and so that, that taught me a lot. Um, from the from the antique store is that value is truly different, um, especially when there's no direct monetary uh, value to it, right? Uh, something I noticed, and I'll, I'll let you guys talk in a second, is that when when people are trading NFTs in this the like newer collections, most of them are relisted immediately for maybe like a fifteen to fifty percent increase. But most historical NFTs that are purchased are generally never relisted unless somebody approaches them because of some sort of interest. And I think that's uh, something unique to just pay attention to because as collectors, they move much slower, but as they come in and have this collector mindset, uh, the value slowly and the price slowly gets pushed up. And most of those will never hit the market again um, unless there's some sort of specific reason. And the antique store really taught me that as well because things in the antique store i didn't have to put price tags on anything you just like people come in and it's just an open negotiation based off of uh, the conversation you have with them uh, whether it's a an intimate relationship or you could just tell in the in the the buyer's uh verbiage that they're just like really interested in it for for whatever reason um and that's a lot, there's a lot of similarities between that the physical antiquities and the digital antiquities world. Hey, Valdi, go ahead. 
Yeah, actually, it was a, that was great, Jake. You told us a lot about yourself, um, especially like your individual background, which I hadn't heard before. I had a specific question with regard to some of the over-counter trades that you were mentioning because I actually was looking through you, – you, sh- you showed me your vault a while ago because I was interested in some of the cats that you had, your moon cats, and I ended up uh, trading one with you. I traded a skull for one of your moon cats, and it, for us it was just kind of a, a trust thing where I don't know if it was you sent – your to me first and then i just sent it to you there was we didn't use nft trader or anything like that what are what are typically the tools um where where you're doing over-the-counter trades with other people where they're not necessarily just based on trust um are you using nft trader uh what other tools are you using or other people using that you're seeing yeah i think it, it i think it depends on who you're actually trading with um i try to look through somebody's profile first to see um, if there's any relations, usually go to see who's following them or who are they following. And you can kind of use that, that social status as leverage, right? Uh, when you and I were trading, if I happen to burn you for some reason, you could easily go to, you know, the, you could easily go to Twitter or go into any of the discords and, and out me. And that would kind of lose the entire credibility that, that I've built because, uh, building a brand takes takes years and years to do and to to, to lose to, for somebody to lose that over you know a few hundred dollars and a few thousand dollars means that they've kind of been fraudulent from the beginning it is completely random you can either uh you can either find a if it's a high value asset like I'll use zero G for example, he's brokered a lot of these like six and seven figure OTC deals. You use them as the, the, the escrow service and they could take a little bit of a cut, but now you have this uh, person of also high social value and trust in the middle um, who is trusted, not just by the two individual parties, but also by many other parties that exist outside of the people trading and uh, I think that's kind of the best way to go if you're doing high, high value assets. I mean, we saw this happen with uh, Kobe. Crypto Cobain has been the, the uh, escrow service for many bets and trade deals. Um, and people generally take that to Twitter, um, too, to just kind of have that, that validation. Um, NFT trader is good. PseudoSwap is good if you don't really trust them as much. Um or at the end of the day, OTC might not be for everyone. Uh, sometimes you need that price history um, because if you want to attract traders and some more liquidity, they need that they need that arbitrary number to to trade against, almost as like a peg. So there's a few there's a few trades that I've done where I've purposely um, paid a little bit more on OpenSea and taken the royalty just so that there is some sort of price history on that. So there, I think there's a few aspects uh, to look at it, but I like PseudoSwap the most if, it's, if you're just going for peer-to-peer trading um, at the end of the day. But uh, for an OC- OTC, it's leveraging that person's social status um, is, is I think, the, the best uh, medium of account to, to make sure that it's going to be a safe trade. Very cool. And if I could ask another question, um, I know you're extremely active. I'm not sure other people are aware. Jake is very active in IRL in terms of events. Like he mentioned, he's in Vegas. He, he I think you've attended like multiple NFT events recently, uh, at least one of which I've seen that you spoke at. Um, so my question is, 
what are some of the what are some of the feedback that you get from um, people you meet at these events who maybe have never had any exposure to, um, let's say, quote unquote, vintage or historical assets, where they are primarily exposed to maybe some of the very new mints that are or new contracts that are just being released uh, and promoted. Um, what what are some of the things they're saying about, like let's say, Moon Cats or or other older projects? Um, and like, what's their level of interest? What's the, what's the barrier to entry for them? Things like that. That's a good question, actually. Um, yeah. So, uh, NFT Miami, um, there was six of us that were, that were speaking, uh, Emily Jr. Mr. Sir was, uh, on stage with a few of us and, and Adam and, uh, and Maximus. And the one thing I noticed after speaking is it's almost it's very similar to what happens in crypto when somebody creates uh, some sort of product and you're like, wow, I would have never thought of that, but it makes sense. It's the same thing with historical NFTs when people start, when you start talking about it and they're like, oh, digital antiquities or, oh, the antique store of NFTs. That makes complete sense, but I would have never thought of that because no one has ever really brought it up because we kind of exist in our own echo chamber and that's kind of all of crypto, everyone kind of exists in their their own individual echo chambers of whatever sector that they're in. But I've not met one person yet that after speaking on it or having a small conversation, they just like are inherently against it. So every single person is always like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Everyone is a collector in some form, whether uh, whether you're collecting like, you know, old rock band t-shirts or you collect salt and pepper shakers or, or old Barbies or Beanie Babies, everyone's a collector in some some in some scenario. I mean, that's kind of, you go back to literally the earliest days of humanities, humans were collectors of, of berries and nuts to survive. So I think it's just even down to the most physiological and psychological levels. Um, we're just an inherent collector. So it does make sense. That's why I really try to focus on creating a frictionless experience to then you can go direct them to uh, whatever it is that is, whether it's, you know, the NFT timeline.com or, or old NFT or an individual discord. Um, and then they kind of like go from there. It does seem like, and this is kind of why I just like, and obviously I'm biased on Mooncats, but every single person that I've come across, most of them know Mooncats. I think just from that specific moment in time in March of 2021, where it was literally just took over the entire NFT space for like a week. Um, and so they're kind of like classified as OGs. But then when you go back, whether it's to, to Bitcoin or, or Emmercoin or Doge Party or all the way back to the earliest of name coins, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of friction there. So we have, kind of have to help smooth smooth that out. Um, but we are getting more opportunities to speak. Uh, I will be at nft3 which is a conference in la speaking on historical nfts uh, next month and then at the end of october i'll be in san francisco and then maybe uh, it might be over in spain which i've heard now is where this historical nft conference is going to be um which is hosted by dada who created dada creeps and weirdos um they haven't completely confirmed it yet but i think that's going to be a, a big moment for everybody but it's just kind of talking to like the here i'll end on this like one last thing for this uh when speaking to like the broader nft community um it's it, historical nfts kind of have this like 
negative reputation. Um, I don't know if it's because this last year and a half was dominated by traders and historical NFTs are not a traders game. And so a lot of them just get wrecked and get burned by it. So when I go out and, and I'm speaking to stages, I'm trying to speak to people who are newer ent- entering into the space. Um, because if you come here and collect and you're newer, you know, you don't have that, that bias and they have been burned or they haven't been uh, persuaded by influencers who just want to shill whatever the new PFP or the new ENS club is or whatever the, the trend is at the time. The historical community trends are always the same. Um, so you just want to present as much information to um, the newer entrants. And that's kind of what my focus is when, when I'm speaking on stage to people. And then when you get off stage, um, I don't know if anyone's watched, like I put it, I made, I, I carried a camera around with me when I was at NFT Miami. And after we got off stage, we just got rushed by a bunch of people. Dude, Adam McBride was like a f- freaking superstar. This guy was signing tens, 20, autographs at a time from from his book is is really incredible to watch and just to see the the general interest of of people who had never thought about the idea but immediately you think oh antiques and collectibles everyone knows that everyone's grandma and grandfather's house is full of just antiques and collectibles so there's there's something in there for everyone it's just kind of speaking to the the newer people entering the space i think that's such a good point that you made about people like trying to trade historical NFTs and then getting wrecked. Like perfect example you could say is Mooncat's rediscovery where you have the initial like hype euphoria cycle and then you have like a long-term period of consolidation and accumulation. Collectors are buying it. it slowly takes attraction. Same thing happened with Skulls. We have Gary V, you know, go- going on spaces and then Leonidas is sweeping, creating these like black swan events. And then it, you know, the, the price just dwindles for a while. And then, you know, you have the real people who start buying and holding and collecting. And meanwhile, everyone else who's in these new, you know, hype uh, promotion projects, they're like, oh, that project sucks. Like it's been doing nothing. You know what I mean? That I feel like that's, that's, that's a pretty like standard belief and opinion. But um, I think you know that like the people who are buying, like in looking into these older projects are, are really collectors and, and not looking to flip like week to week or month to month, just like they, they like the look of it and how it makes them feel. And it's like speaks to them. And um, I feel that way personally about Mooncats and, and Skulls. And there's a lot of other projects I like too as well. But I think that's what really creates that connection, like with the asset, like what makes you want to actually own it and, and have that, uh, that provenance. So. That's all I had. Yeah, it's uh, and, and w- once you start collecting and bouncing between a bunch of these communities, you realize that it's a lot of us. It's majorly the same people, right? You, you start mess- DMing with somebody for an OTC deal, and you realize that you're in fifteen of the same discords, and you're like, oh my, oh my god, right? It's all the same people. But I have noticed that the community, from a macro perspective, is growing, and you see new entrants. Yeah, it's just about just giving them as much information as pro- as possible and, and being proper and uh, just making them aware too that, you know, this is not a, a tr- trader's game, at least yet. I mean, it depends on, on what happens. Um, I think uh, the, the, I think the Mooncats IP acquisition will be an interesting test to see kind of what the future is, whether it's a, a modern a company who comes in and, and takes over the IP and then you bring in flippers or if it's a web two company, I think that'll, 
and then to see if that sets precedent for some of these historical projects to get in the hands of, of proper marketing and branding uh, teams and to, to create a, a perfect unison. Uh, so that's like something that I'm actually watching as well to see um, where you where that that hybrid merger is as well. Yeah, that will be really interesting to see. I definitely have some more questions. XOAO, feel free to chime in. And if anyone else in the audience wants to request up, feel free to do so. I guess my, my, I'll try to keep them kind of succinct, but like one or two questions would be, so, you know, a little over a year ago, Mooncats is popping off. You're getting involved. I love the story of selling half of the Dogecoin, moving it into Ethereum and starting to buy Mooncats. Like there was a, you know, from my perspective, like I can feel that connection and kind of the the passion you had for that project for 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 Mooncats and you know probably some sense of like FOMO too happening. But I guess then looking into the whole summer, like what inspired you to start creating content for the community? I guess the the broader question is like, how do you what do you see as the importance of community in historical projects and like what was a decision point for you to start stepping up, you know, becoming a moderator, taking responsibility, producing content. And then, you know, of course now you've produced content for the whole historical community as well with your different charts and the YouTube, you know, if folks haven't checked it out, there's a whole on Jake's YouTube. It's very well like organized by different um, projects and there's like multiple videos per project. But yeah, I guess, so yeah, the, the question would be like, what inspired you to start documenting some of this stuff and then also like become kind of a leader in the community? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, have to add a little bit of a backstory to this uh, before I dive a little bit in. So uh, during the, when the pandemic had first started, I got uh, laid off from my nightclub job. Vegas was the, the hardest hit city in the entire country at over 30% unemployment. And so during that time I had, finally a few weeks to myself and I started kind of really looking into YouTube content creation. I was always a big podcasting fan and uh, I had this like really big light bulb moment of just like during the pandemic, the, the world was going to rapidly change. We were going to move into this like remote economy and just following a lot of the thought leaders in crypto at the time. Cryptos, in my opinion, has uh, the most intellectual capital of any industry in the entire world. And just seeing a lot of these people kind of think and, and discuss this idea of the digital world's going to happen and it's all going to be accelerated. Uh, I decided to start a podcast. Um, and this was to me, I think starting a podcast is probably like the, 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 the best thing that I could have ever done. It really just like changed, changed everything I thought about life. Um, I started a podcast called the guest list at the time, which was just like talking with entrepreneurs in Las Vegas um, and when I first started, it blew up really fast in the city and became like a top show. And uh, it just helped me <clears throat> talk with all of these different thought leaders and uh, casino owners and politicians and um, uh, the whole degree of uh, diversity in the city from from content creators to uh, corporations and and so on. And so I was doing that a long time, but my end goal was always to be full-time in crypto since being in it since late 2016. Um, I just didn't know specifically where I'd fit yet. I always wanted, 
I didn't want to work for somebody. I always wanted to, to kind of create my own thing. This is what most crypto people eventually do. And so um, while I was doing my podcast and the Mooncats thing happened, um, I had no experience actually in YouTube outside of just creating a podcast. And I'd start noticing uh, Harry BTC and Leonidas and uh, White Rabbit had started putting out infographics and mediums about just kind of like the broader ecosystem. And it kind of just like had a big, another light bulb moment of like, Oh, if, if there's macro plays that are happening in our industry, then there's going to be half, there's going to be a ton of micro plays, but in order to get to the macro, like in their position, you have to, you're going to have to start micro. And that was kind of like my thought with my podcast was, you know, I can start talking with different individuals in Las Vegas. And then eventually um, you've shared you know, you, you've shared the stage with so many people who have credibility in the city. Eventually, then you become a macro leader in the city. And then if you're a macro leader in a city, then you could go take that to the next stage and so on. And so I kind of took that logic <clears throat> and applied it to creating just Mooncat tutorial videos. And so the, back then, when, when Mooncats rediscovered, there was uh, Mooncat Pro had just been created and there there wasn't really a specific class of mooncats that were rare uh, for those that don't know the there was a point where garfields and character cats were actually like vastly more valuable than 2017s at one point 2017s were like a point three or four youth floor and garfs were like a two youth floor it was crazy and, and that eventually started changing once people started putting information out um and so i started creating these videos and um that's when when ponderware offered me first they offered for me i said yeah i'm down for that um and to me being like a community manager community moderator is kind of like a, the equivalent of like a web 2 internship you kind of just like learn the the how, how the internal operations of of a true crypto company operates and uh whether you get paid or not is specific on the team that you work for but it just taught me a lot of like where what the community is looking for, how the back end is operated, how to how to be a little bit more professional in this uh, this, this kind of like new world. And so once I started putting out that information, maybe maybe that is why Sotheby's actually reached out to me because they saw me as just like a leader in in that community. And so then people started reaching out to me about not only Mooncats, they started reaching out to me to just about historical NFTs in general. Um, just because of having, uh, you know, knowledge in one space, people associated with just having space, uh, knowledge in space overall. And so then towards the end of last year, um, with the kind of reputation I'd built through Sotheby's, I just completely pivoted my entire podcast from being the guestless Vegas to the Jake Allen podcast. And I just started interviewing just people in the historical NFT community. Uh, I believe I started with Ponderware, actually, and then I moved over to Adam and kind of some of the like main leaders and then um, just started talking with all of the ones, all of the different creators and collectors and educators in the store community who uh, maybe had or slept on or were overlooked. And just, again, taking the same philosophy from my Vegas podcast of if you can then become a leader in the historical NFT community or sorry with it being a leader in the Mooncat community, 
then become a, a leader in the historical NFT community. And then you could take that to the much, much wider approach. And then you can be a leader in the NFT community. And then if you're a leader in the overall NFT ecosystem, then those who are following you are going to look into your past and then they find historical NFTs and it kind of becomes the same uh, self-fulfilling future that just keeps being applied over and over and over. And so that's where I've taken the the more macro approach to it. And uh, now with the content creation, as I've put a little bit more very uh, different degrees of, of content out from the Mooncat IP acquisition, uh, long form literature to the variations and podcasts to speaking on stages to to the uh, infographic that I recently put out with NFT archaeology. I do have larger aspirations of content to create, but it all starts with just like being a leader in your community and and from there it's just understanding what the community actually needs. Um, and, and I still think to this day, every historical community just needs as much information as possible, cut up into as many different degrees of content, whether it's infographics, memes, long form content, video content, Twitter content, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, so just, yeah, it's a long mission, but uh, content is not just YouTube as well. Just uh, people need to realize that as well. It comes in many, many forms. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the uh, perspective. And I, I definitely agree with the last point for sure, you know, having different graphics and infographics and in different mediums and, and formats and content. I feel like, you know, some people are more used to like maybe looking at vision, you know, things visually, some people are more used to maybe listening in spaces. And, you know, I feel like, you know, whatever works for people, I feel like, you know, as long as you get the, the the right information um and you know be able to learn from it i think that's that's the key so yeah so first of all thank you so much for the uh you know the context and the background it's fascinating to kind of you know just just get to know you a bit more you know right and and you know your background being in uh you know in crypto since 2017 as you said um and also your love for uh you know trading and 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 you know love for you know collecting antiques i feel like you know you you, you kind of give a bit of gary vibe you know gary v vibes there in terms of you know his his mindset of of you know of trading and and his love for for, for collecting so yeah i'm re really you know really excited to kind of you know know you a little bit more and i love the story with um you know steve aoki and the the, the full circle <laughs> that you had uh, that's just you know inspiring to kind of see and I'm a Steve Aoki fan and, and holder myself uh, with, with one of his uh, Aoki first NFTs. So shout out to him. Um, you know, actually, he's he's kind of, you know, obviously big in the music industry, but he's also someone, you know, I, I did look up to when I was growing up. So, yeah, I love I love that that story that you, sh you shared. So um, in terms of like, I guess my question would be, you know, as as someone who maybe is entering this space as a, as a beginner or you know, someone who's been in the NFT space but wants to know, learn more about historical NFTs, you know, especially targeting these listeners um, we have in, in this space, as well as people playing the recording of it. You know, what is your advice in terms of, you know, looking at the, the in, infographics that Adam McBride has shared, for example, or, or Leo, 
you know, what is your advice when it comes to researching um, historical NFTs, right? Like it, there, there's NFTs, you know, going back tw till 2011, I believe. Like what is your sort of like, um, you know, mindset when it comes to collecting and, and what is your advice for beginners to, to when it comes to research? Thanks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a really good question. I if there's a recommendation, there's a few things you could do. It's either it's either Discord, it's a few of the like directory websites, um, or a few of the different Twitter accounts. So from like a website perspective, I think the nfttimeline.com is a really good one. That's like really inclusive. Oldnft.com is also a really good one. It even has like a floor price tracker of all the different historical NFTs. And then uh, Ken Ken's a Pixel Maps website, nftarchaeology.io. Um, for a beginner, I I would definitely recommend, and I generally do recommend starting with Ethereum uh, historical NFTs. It's just it's the most simplistic, and you you don't want to turn people away in the beginning. Although you know there's probably a lot more value you could find right now within the the Bitcoin NFTs, Doge Party, and uh, and the Namecoin stuff. That there does it does take a little bit more expertise and nuance to kind of navigate those chains to really understand what, what's happening under the hood. Um, and then the NFT relics uh, discord and the, uh, and Adam McBride's discord, the NFT archeology span one, I think are two other uh, components to it. Um, and then I also just give them my, uh, my YouTube page for the podcast because there's probably about 50 to 60 different interviews on there. Cause it's, re it's really tough to know what's, what specifically what type of content they're looking for um because everyone has a different uh appetite for content but also their life situation whether some people can only like listen on the go or some people have time to sit at home and you know browse back and forth between all the websites and also the technical knowledge as well so like when i first started navigating namecoin stuff i didn't know i didn't even know what Namecoin was, to be honest. I had to go into some of the discords and ask people specifically what was happening. Um, and But also everyone's learning styles are a little bit different. Uh, for me, my best way to learn is actually to just go buy the asset and then um, have some skin in the game. Um, and then it kind of encourages me more to, to participate in it because now I have a financial tie to it, which is much different than just kind of doing your own research. So I'll purposely go in, even if I know it's going to go to zero or something like that. Uh, crypto is all about experimentation. And those who, the, the, every, most people are rewarded for going and being curious um, from every sector of NFTs and crypto, not, not just NFTs. Um, so I try to just do the, the blanket statements. And then from the accounts, from a Twitter account, um, I usually give uh, Adams, Adam, Leo, um, Black Star, Ken, and, and White Rabbit are usually like the five uh, Twitter accounts that I tell people to follow. But I think it also depends on what medium um, you're communicating with somebody on. So like if, if, if you're in, let's say I'm in the Mooncat Discord and somebody's asking about historical NFTs, I'll usually give a link to the two Discords. If, if somebody's on Twitter that I'm communicating with, then I'll generally give them the Twitter accounts. Um, if somebody's communicating with me on a Twitter spaces, then I could be uh, a little bit more broad um, and share a little bit more information. So I think uh, the context of the conversation is 
is pretty is pretty important too because uh, some people who are beginners that are just coming into it they don't know anything and so you want to try to keep them you want to keep it native to whatever the platform is that you're communicating with them on um, to not to not scare them away or to just give them too much information that's too dense for for their understanding. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. You know, even if you're talking to somebody on Facebook or something, you know, a friend or a family member or something, like sending them your YouTube video links and the archive there would be more accessible than being, you know, potentially exposing them to be like, okay, now you got to join Discord. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what that is. But yeah, I remember, you know, months ago looking at the communities and trying to just gauge like I was very interested in like the story and, you know, one new update on the crypto skulls discord is more of the history. There's a new subsection and thread that Zed started. Um, so if anyone didn't see that yet, definitely check it out. Cause that was a big part of me. It's like, you know, I want, I want to join this community, but I'm like so interested in the history. And, you know, for those that have tried to look up like, you know, crypto skulls, on YouTube, there's very little information out there other than like classic Kev's videos and a couple others. But um, yeah, you know, Jake, with what you've done with Mooncat, there's like, and I think the whole team really at Mooncats, um, you know, there's a wealth of information and storytelling there. So I think you guys have done a really great job on presenting that information um, on multiple fl- platforms, which is really important. I think as we see, you know, like you said, 5 million to you know, 1 billion or more people potentially entering the space over the next couple of years. XOA, did you have a question? I had one other question, but, and then other folks, if you want to invite yourselves up, please do. If you have questions for Jake, um, I, I guess I am curious, interrupt me XOAO if you need to, um, is just, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what was your exposure, Jake? So, you know, obviously you dove into NFTs pretty hard in like March, 2021, I guess, what, what was your first exposure to like crypto skulls during your journey and kind of what your perspective of crypto skulls as a collectible asset? Just curious to hear your story as it relates to crypto skulls. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite unique. Um, obviously the, the skulls um, and Leo is quite contentious. Um, it almost felt at the beginning that it, it was kind of like, being force fed to us. Um, and so it took me a little bit of time to kind of come around to it. Um, right. Because if you look at the NFT archeology span thing that I'd been created, you could see, and if you're here from the beginning, the, the goalposts, or you could say kind of like the, the anchors between um, first finding moon cats and, and, uh, and crypto cats in 2017, the boundaries was really like, oh, now we could go back to 2017. Then it was the theory was, oh, we could go to 2015. And so chronologically, we're moving to the the beginning of when NFTs were first created. And that took some time, right? It took almost the entire year of 2021. And then in 2022, um, during the the crypto schools, um, we'll call it a resurgence. I don't don't think it's a rediscovery because the community was there already. Um, and then there was a lot of the, the 2018 projects that were coming up and then, uh, crypto schools had that, that 10,000, I think it was like 10,000 sales in a day. It was quite crazy. I didn't even know what it was. Um, and, and, and it was just unfortunate that 
schools kind of got tied um, and it got ri- it got mixed up in you know in Leo's whether it was, whether it's actually pumping and dumping or the the immediate buying and then flipping it back to just make some of the money back you know it could be interpreted in so many ways but as crypto is it, it people tend to just put it all into one basket and then just put it in the corner and never really actually dive into what actually happened um, and so on and so forth. And so after, after that happened um, and everything settled down, I started really looking into crypto schools, you know, the, the second 10 K PFP kind of like, it makes sense uh, to me that, and I've been on podcasts saying this even before crypto schools, uh, like the 10 K supply to me as a class, like using, using supply as a value metric to me never really made sense. Um, and this is, this could just be like a new paradigm in, in NFTs. But when you look at my experience in, in the antique stores, there was never anything that I sold that because of the supply of the, of the asset themselves increased the value of it. Right. Like, yes, you have a salt and pepper shaker, but those kind of go in hand in hand, but because the salt and pepper shaker was, there was a, a creation of 10,000 of them of the same ones did not make them more valuable just because of the, the supply. But I do understand the like 10K PFP. And when you start really thinking about it, and the, I think this is where a lot of like the frustration and uh, both sides of the historical and vintage NFT community is like, you know, PFP is, is subjective and also 10K, even though it's a number, can also be subjective um, based off of, was it originally 10K supply? Was there a cap on the contract, right? Was one burnt? Um, did they actually make it? Like there's all these different nuances that kind of really go into it. And then with PFP, um, you go into it. It's, you know, we've always said, even in the beginning with Mooncat communities, that Mooncats are a PFP. Um, and, but but now you're saying PFP, the, the, the mo- it's the modern take of a PFP has been applied to uh, the to the this pfp where it's like i think it's it's supposed to be from the waist up i guess is like the general consensus around what a pfp is but it's just like it's very subjective to me but as i started doing more research you know the the and of course in between there was the the idea of like it became the second 10k pfp then it was like the second 10k non-derivative pfp and then there was like something else that happened after that and i was like okay guys this is getting this is getting out of hand right it's like these like ultra niche classifications that no one really cares about but i guess could care about um i started looking up the idea of like where did the second 10k pfp come from and uh i actually thought and it was a general consensus that leo was the one who created this but I did my own research and there's people saying 10K PFP even before Leo was back even towards, uh, if you look through Twitter history towards the late 2021, there's people who are publicly saying it. So I don't know whether Leo came up with that on his own, but just from like a objective standpoint, he was not the first one to do it. Um, And I started seeing a lot of people come into um, the historical space from the crypto schools community and it's pixel art. And so I eventually ended up buying one um, to, you know, support Leo and to, again, just through my own philosophy of trying to learn more about the community. And then when I bought one, came into the community, started seeing a lot of, it's kind of a, a hybrid of like, it had some modern 
some modern NFT properties, also had some historical NFT properties. Um, and so it was this like, to me, it was like a pretty good fit um, for like a hybrid at the moment um, where it, it really kind of exuded that idea of like, what are the five most important traits to you for historical from a historical NFT perspective? Is it, is it timestamp? Is it technological innovation? Is it it's cultural significance? And there's, there's a few other ones that I just can't think of at the moment. Um, and it kind of just like flipped my own ideals around. And um, I just had this like internal compromise that, you know, not everyone's going to see the timestamp is the most important, especially when you start speculating out into the future, you know, five years, 10 years from now. Um, and kind of view, I just view uh, crypto schools more as like OG pixels, I guess is just like an easy definition to, to, stay, to say it. But um, the community has, it, the community is awesome. I, I do hang around in there. I don't post as much, but I do read a lot of just kind of the communication um and it's done a lot a very good job at onboarding people to the to the broader space so uh, i definitely kind of incorporated more and then i ended up trading with foldy and talking with everybody and um whether it's an actual historical nft or vintage nft it's probably a combination of both depending on the context and that's kind of like the the main point to it is it really depends on what the context is of the conversation, which it's, it's just never like a, it's never going to be a circle peg in a, in a circle peg kind of scenario, but I, I do enjoy it and um, have begun. So I have two and then I have the level three demonic school. I have the cheerful school, which was like the, uh, the original V3 or level three demonic school with the, where the contract was messed up. And, uh, I think I have like another one. So I, th- I have six, six total between all of the different collections within the, the schools community. And Voldy, do you have a question? Yeah, no, I just wanted to comment on what you were saying about the, like the second 10 K PFP narrative um, that, like you said, I had seen also 10 K PFP used prior to Leo or, or other people mentioning it, but I can confirm um, that, you know, the second 10 K PFP was, is a Leo, you know, creation um, I'm not saying it's a bad creation or it's a wrong creation. I think it, um, the, the intent was to orient people, but the result from everything I've seen, and I, I agree pretty much with what you said, is that it really just creates um, like a target point to, to argue over rather than having like any kind of substantive you know, discussion over what, what the art is, you know, who, who created it, why did they create it, how did they create it. So all of those things I'm looking forward to getting recorded um on friday from alex himself he'll be accompanied by a russian translator uh and i think there's so many other amazing really cool interesting projects when you just keep going deep back down the timeline um i had been interested in and researching um crypto art you know nfts like years ago even looking at punks right after they had came out i saw them being posted and i was just too lazy to press buttons and then, you know, of course, now um, I'm, I feel regret for that. And uh, and then I, I, I told myself when I, you know, saw something that like I re- that really hit home for me that I, I would pull the trigger and not just be lazy like I did like when I saw punks come out a few years ago. And so, yeah, skulls, I really connected with. Um, and I think 
it's for a lot of people in our community is like a gateway, like a, a, a gateway drug to the wider historical quote unquote or vintage quote unquote NFT community. It, it creates, um, you know, we have a, a really tight community, like you said, and we, we have some chats where people will, you know, talk about projects they're interested in. All of our community members are like pretty active in other um, communities like Mooncats. I've seen, we have a lot of people who are in Doogie's chats. I see a Doogie here. Um, because pixel art is like you said, it really, if you like one pixel art type, it's hot, it's probable you will like similar pixel art. And that's, I think part of the reason we have a lot of overlap with, with punk collectors with skulls. We have a lot of V one punks in our community. We have a lot of, uh, crypto the famous crypto punks in our community as well because i think they see that similarity um and, and what i find really interesting is that alex had created these like you know in 2019 punks were like people were talking about them but they were certainly not talking about them nearly as much as they were in 2021 um when they started to go completely mainstream so for me it was you know that, that i personally identified with them and, and found the pixel art very compelling and um, that, you know, especially the, when you, when you add on the fact that he created this collection, um, kind of echoing a collection that hadn't really picked up mainstream adoption and hype yet, I think is, it makes a compelling story, but the, the second 10 K PFP thing, um, I, I think, like you said, it just kind of creates a, a way to move goalposts and, and then, and a, a way to debate. And then you have, things like pride punks coming out and then it's like well what is a 10k pfp so yeah i, I agree with what you said yeah and uh, I, we privately had this conversation too in dms when when it was all the, the whole debacle was happening of what's the what's the right direction to to take it and uh i don't think there's ever going to be the right path um, but I think just settling on just OG pixels or, or just not even having a name, just saying, you know, you just like to support just vintage pixel art or just, just old school projects, I think is kind of kind of the right way to go. It. But uh, another point that people became very confused and what's confused me is when you look throughout the entire historical NFT community, there is not any other project across the between 2011 and 2019 that uses second insert whatever claim here as um a value amplifier and <laughs> so uh a lot of people are like it just it just felt very forest although uh, i think the i think the schools are pretty cool um it's just yeah it just the it it just becomes another attack factor and what what eventually upset the 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 larger historical NFT community was just the the perspective that it was or the attack that it was allowing um, the broader NFT community to come in and kind of like uh, defame or defame the entire historical NFT community and say, you know, whether it's a the pumper dumper or everything's historical now, right from every year. And it just became, it became too broad and, it, and the definition kept changing, which then um, you hear people on, popular podcast you know like like zeneca and all these other people saying you know the the whole historical nft community is just a fraud because it's just people picking up old school bags to pump them and, and sell them and that was kind of like one of the 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 turning points which i think now um the self-policing of the historical community although some people uh like to you know meme it and make fun of it i think it's a it's an important thing that 
we can get through these uh, frustrating times and then eventually uh, figure out what, where the, where the lines are drawn. And uh, the self-policing is not just inherent to historical community. It's literally the entire crypto community. I mean, you see like CZ and, and SBF literally today saying, you know, they have $2 billion to backstop the entire crypto community um, without having government intervention. So that's, it, it just kind of finds its way all the way down, um, which, which is pretty cool. So it just takes time but that's why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see Mallow with his hand up. Did you have something, XOAL? Yeah, I was just going to welcome Mallow and uh, say, how are you doing? <laughs> we're doing good well. Had to jump in. Uh, definitely, uh, yeah, the new uh, CMs, you guys are doing a great job. And uh, yeah, the historical uh, debate is just uh, hilarious. And, uh, you know, it kind of was leading into my question, which uh, I'm just kind of curious, Jake or Voldy, um, you know, we obviously have, you know, some historical narrative, but at the end of the day, you know, you want to build, you know, utility function and, you know, other cool things. I know the Skulls have a game coming. Um, I was watching this YouTube video and it was some dude kind of mocking NFTs. And he said the word utility is like so overused to the point where it's not even, uh, you know, uh, doesn't even have much meaning. Do you guys kind of agree with that? You've had, you know, some space in the, uh, you know, industry to see how these trends kind of go. You know, we were doing uh, huge mints. Now they're free mints and you can't even give them away. Uh, what's your guys' take on that utility uh, and kind of taking the uh, the next trends, you know, the uh, NFT space? Yeah, the, it's funny because the utility as a meme meme um, was kind of going around for a while. I think that was kind of just like the product of the NFT market at the time of just being purely speculative um, inside of, inflationary bubble um which is now being uh debased as going but utility i think no one really knows what utility is there's a lot of things that have utility right is is utility the meme is utility the art is utility uh, tokenized communities is it gated access is it is it royalties there's so many different directions that you can go um i think kind of the the idea of adding future utility ideas on a roadmap is kind of like what turned it into a meme because roadmaps um, are very hard to uh, to follow, especially from a dev standpoint. I mean, I'm not a dev, but I have a lot of friends who are devs and this d- smart contract development takes much, much longer than people would like. Um, and you kind of add that into a, a 24 uh, seven trading economy where they everyone's trading off of, of speculation and hype and once the utility actually comes uh people aren't interested right I, I saw someone tweeting the other day that once somebody uh infers that utility is coming then uh the the price drops but i think i don't think that utility should utility doesn't need to be attached to price i mean yeah people are going people are going to trade off it is, but utility is going to come and it's already here in many different ways. It's just kind of in the early stages. And it, it seems now that utility kind of gets pegged to these play to earn games, which have kind of the tokens kind of just been down only, but you, t- we have to have this kind of experimentation um, happen in order to understand the kind of what, what utility is right. Um, whether it's an overabundance of utility or uh, kind of like a trickle that, that comes out. It's, it's really tough to know, but it's here. And especially through this bear market, we'll see by this next bull cycle, whether it's 
six months or, or six years, um, it, the space will look much different than what, it, what, what we see today. I was just going to say also, um, like you said, you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle with anything crypto and what, whether utility, you know, it works for one project or doesn't work for another, that, like utility is only going to be enhanced. And I think actually one really interesting form of utility that I had been looking into for months was the and is the, the token proof app, which was used and, and is adopted by Board API Club, I believe also Doodles and a couple of other well-known projects. Um, where essentially your um, your asset, your token is used as as an entry ticket to an event, which is I think was the most logical thing where you have some sort of a partnership um, between like let's say a musician or some other performance and that collection um, where you have an automatic entry to, uh, as an admission. Um, so th that has worked from what I've read extremely well. And I actually was researching potentially using token proof for skulls for a while, but uh, I think, yeah, the utility is is never going to go away for sure. It's only going to get, you know, there'll be it, there'll be more iterations of it, and eventually people will find out what the most logical use case for it. Obviously, another utility that's used is voting for uh, multi-sig wallets, and and also DAOs are using it to vote. So, yeah, I, I think voting you can't you can't really extract the utility away from the value once it exists. It, it becomes part of the intrinsic value of the asset, that utility that's built. Hell yeah. I think you guys uh, yeah, had some really good points. Uh, what stood out, yeah, Jake, when you said, uh, yeah, most people are buying the utility hype, and then when it actually comes out, nobody cares, uh, which is kind of funny. And, uh, you know, I think that just yeah, is a testament uh, to the short-term memory sometimes of the uh, crypto space. And, uh, yeah, I think utility um, – However you want to define it, uh, the people that are building it, you know it when you see it. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to some of the Skull utility coming down the line. Uh, I am curious a little bit about the game. Um, do you guys have any alpha you could drop on that or just uh, anything you want to add? We're going to be hosting on Friday. I'm not sure if you've seen the first recorded public AMA with Alex. And uh, we will be asking him questions like, uh, you know, what, what are your plans for the game? What's the timeline for it to come out? Uh, th those sorts of questions will be asked and, and will be recorded. And then if you're able to make it, uh, you can hear it live. Um, and then we'll also be splicing it into some um, some short bits for, for digestion at a later time. But we will be de definitely asking those questions. Hey, good to hear. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to it. I'll let you guys keep doing your thing. Thanks for letting me come up here, chat about some utility, do some silly things, and uh, keep scrolling it up, man. Hey, Jake, did you want to quickly mention on the topic of games? I know uh, Mooncats had some big announcements in the last week, too, about partnerships and um, kind of metaverse games and things like that. Did you want to touch on that? Yeah, so Mooncats have a lot of a lot of utility happening that exists within the Mooncat ecosystem and also just like different integrations. Uh, Mooncats, they kind of go through these like small spurts uh, of growth through the utility of it just being interoperable. Uh, originally, the first few things that they're integrated in with was isotile metaverse, where you can have your cat literally like walking around in your metaverse. Then we had, um, then we had World Wide Web, which was like a huge, massive utility um, where I don't know if people know, it's like a very popular 2D metaverse. That's like a MMORPG kind of game. And uh, that between that and the combination of 
of the the boutique, which is just on-chain accessories, which Pondaware was the first to do. Uh, they're kind of a pioneer in like user customization, which might not directly have a reflection on the price, um, which discourages traders away, but encourages collectors and and those who just like to to play w- play around with utility. Um, if you walk around in in World Wide Web, you can create your own uh, boutique or accessory and utilize it in a game. Right? It's like the the early additions of customizing your your PFP or your avatar. Um, so that's been in- incredible. And then uh, Pondor also has Gravball coming out, which it's going to be a combination of a few things. It seems like it's going to be a team game. It's also they said it's supposed to be more than just a game. It's going to be a platform. Um, and they are also creating a multi-use staking contract, which I think is going to be very game-changing, where you can... Pondor is creating this... this, And I'm not a dev, so I might get some of the the technical uh, definitions wrong. But the main idea is there's going to be this staking contract where everyone can put their mooncats in, and then these mooncats can be staked in multiple games at one time, um, whether it's uh, ZooDAO and whatever future games come grab ball and a handful of them your, your cats can uh, eventually be accruing value in multiple games at, at one time which i don't believe any other dev team has has put anything out like this and then their recent announcement there was a handful of them is the, the integration into Pixelverse, which is the the slappy seals uh p2e game that's coming out and Although they won't be able to be staked in that game, they're going to have some sort of utility and integration into it. Um, I don't know if people follow Pixelverse. It hasn't been released yet, but it seems to have a, a lot of hype behind it. And um, I think this is only just the beginning. Uh, I, since I first got into into Mooncats, my my definition of Mooncats was Pets of the Metaverse. And it, it seems to, to be coming true um, when I think about you know, the PFP and avatar ga- uh, game, you think of it as a handful of things. You could think of it as just like digital identity, digital fashion. And when you look at like the real world and how big the fashion industry is, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. But then you think about the pets industry in the real world. I looked it up a few months ago. It was worth about $50 billion. Um, but now you think pets in the metaverse, like what, how do you extrapolate p- upon that idea? And um, to me, I just see it as, yes, people are going to change their fashion every day, but people change their fashion every day, but people generally don't change their pets. You become very attached to your pet. And so if Mooncats can become the pets of the metaverse or like one of the the iconic pets to exist in the metaverse, you're only going to have 25,000 of them. And wherever, whatever metaverse that exists you'll probably be able to have your pet following you and so you could kind of see those ideas again try to to trickle and formulate over time um and then mooncats also had their walk cycle created which was a community actual endeavor and so now you can actually have your cats not just bounce in different metaverses but they'll actually have like a a full-on walk cycle which is pretty incredible so there's so much different utility that happens within the, the Mooncat ecosystem that's generally overlooked because it's not essentially reflected in the price, but it it does exist because it's, you know, utility might not have value, might, might not be priced in now, 
because it's not really certain what what specific utility is, but it'll eventually all get priced in at the end of the day. And I'm sure I probably still miss some things on there as well. There's just like, it's too much to keep up with at times. Yeah, there is an absolute lot going on. And there was a couple of things you just mentioned I didn't even realize either. And I'm trying to stay pretty up to date on the Mooncat stuff. But yeah, I know related to the boutique, I've been really like falling into the rabbit hole of the boutique. I love that um, just kind of, I guess, addition to the, the OG collection. I know, I think today... Was it not the mint started for the Curio Card Boutique? I don't know if Voldy picked one up. I see one, I think, down. Heavy has one maybe here in the audience. But, yeah, just kind of more partnerships with other historical collections. And then, you know, of course, shout out to Digivatar and Tusk Tusk in the audience as some of the boutique artists. Um, but, yeah, okay, we are getting close to an hour and a half. I kind of wanted to keep it around that. I guess one kind of closing thing if we want to talk about or if anyone else has questions please invite yourself up but yeah i think just circling back to what you said jake about like the importance of community and kind of piggybacking on xoao's question too of like you know xoao was asking like where do people get directed essentially and like you know as we see more new people come into the nft space and onto twitter and it's like, how do they find their home in NFTs? And I know I had my own process in doing that. And, you know, it happened different for each of us, like how we found our place. And, you know, that might be many communities. But, yeah, any closing remarks, Jake, about that or even XOAO or Voldy while you're up here, just about, like, the importance of community, um, I guess, just from my perspective, like, you know, I, I had some NFTs, more like crypto-centered ones, um, more investment you know, I, I guess I, I joined the Chads Club, which is a pixelated Chad, not a historical project. They were created, I think, in December 2021. But, you know, NFTs for me really gave me a community of people to like chat with because I think so many times in the crypto world we can feel like very alone, you know, like our friends and family aren't they like think you're crazy. And, you know, you might not know anybody in in real life to like connect with. And that to me is what like. Um, finding the Chaz Club gave me, and then eventually I found Malo and the Doogies um, in the spring, and that definitely opened this world to be like, wow, there's like a whole community of people that are vibing together and hanging out in spaces. Um, you know, of course, talking about the project and geeking out over you know Doogies or cats or skulls or you know whatever other you know, um, image that we relate to, but yeah, there's people that have passion towards a project and, you know, the doogies were a gateway and found a lot of other projects, you know, very quickly because of them, um, including crypto skulls. And I think really because of crypto skulls found moon cats and, you know, now we're holding all of them and I want to buy more of them, of course. But, uh, you know, I think just related to XOAO's question, it's like, I think pushing people into the discord and into spaces also is really important because at least to me, more than anything, more than any utility, like is the people that are in the community and how you, you know, connect with those people. And I, you know, being part of, I don't know, eight different discords or I don't know, however many discords I'm a part of, like each one has their own vibe and, um, you know, kind of a, its own rhythm that is happening. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be kind of my addition to that is yeah, pushing people into exploring spaces and discords before pulling a trigger to make any purchase. And it's like, where, you know, 
do you like the art? Are you okay with holding it for the long term, especially if it's a historical and, you know, it's not a quick flip? And, um, yeah, do you connect? And, like, is it a community that you want to be a part of? And like Jake, you said earlier, you know, like, if you want to be there and if you love the art and, like, believe in the project, then you'll start creating more for the community, whether that's content or hosting events, um, you know, putting up stickers, you know, a lot of us in the skull community are, are getting our stickers out there. And I think just that organic growth is really important for the future of our communities. So super glad to be here. Um, if there's other closing thoughts related to kind of the future and the importance of community within our NFT projects, love to hear that maybe Voldy and maybe we can just close with Jake and um, that'll be perfect. Voldy yeah, at XOAO and Jake. Yeah, I'll just say something really quick back to like kind of what Jake was alluding to earlier in terms of like a couple of the like quote unquote historical discords where there's like infighting and arguing. Um, I think that that type of interaction is like so it's just so silly because at, at the end of the day, the you know, you may not like one individual in a project or you may have a perception about an individual in the project. But a lot of the time, those feelings have nothing to do or that person is has nothing to do with the art itself of the underlying project. And um, I just, at the end of the day, all these, all the people in these, um, these different communities were all, you know, interested in collecting the same things. Like it's, it's likely that if I like, you know, skulls, I'm going to like cats or all like doogies or all like punks or, uh, you know, any other things down the timeline. Um, so hopefully over time, some of these disagreements um, within the, uh, different like facets of the historical collector community we can uh, break down those barriers. And um, I think it's, it's mutually beneficial that way, rather than creating these barriers and um, preventing collectors from going one way or another. Yeah, I agree. I just want to, I was going to edit here and just say, you know, now that we've been in this historical, pro we, we've, the historical community was, was, I guess you say created during the moon cats rediscovery. And so now we're about what, 15, 16 months into this. Uh, I, I would say we're kind of like in phase two now of the historical NFT progression. Uh, most projects that had, that had the ability to be, you know, rediscovered or relaunched have been, yes, we're going to have a few here and there, but it's, it's not going to introduce that much supply comparative to what we have now. And so now we're in phase two where we're in the, the community building aspect of it. You know, you could say kind of like year two of punks, uh, only with these projects, some of them actually have the, the underlying uh, value of historical significance or the, the older timestamp or, or uh, some of these different properties that a lot of the modern NFTs uh, will never be able to accomplish just from a, from a pure uh, chronological perspective. Uh, so now we'll see, you know, over the next year, uh, whichever communities decide to band together and uh, work with each other are going to be the ones that end up building the best communities and finding the most value. Uh, not every historical project, you know, is valuable. And uh, we've, we've begun to see this now. Um, and, and now it's now it's just on the communities to continue to yeah, work together, uh, provide as much information. Um, and the, I think that the pumping and dumping aspect of that is kind of like in the rear view mirror, um, because now we all know each other and uh, it's just really cool to see. Um, and I'm excited over the next year, you know, to see which 10, 20 projects 
make it out and uh, become a little bit more into the mainstream. But it, it doesn't mean, though, that just because some of these other projects, you know, are maybe not valuable, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't um, deter people away from at least looking into it because you never really know what's going to happen. I mean, look at like Realms of Ether or Puny Codes or, or Pandas, where it's just a, a community has built their own wrapper around it and then decided, you know, I like these castles or I like these pandas and we're going to um, take our own direction with this project. Um, so you re really never know who's going to have some interest in something, even if it, the value is at zero. Um, so with that being said, um, it, now we're just in the community building phase and uh, community is malleable and it's going to change over time. Uh, we're past, we're past the clubs, right? Uh, I was talking about this the other day about, how ENS has kind of found success because they've uh, categorized a lot of these as clubs, which has a, a one track kind of view. Uh, when you're, when you're in a club, whether you're a, in a, a golf club or a fraternity or something like this, you know, there's maybe one or two things that are the objective, but communities don't, they have many objectives and the, the objectives are, are always changing. So um, let's just not get caught um, trying to, you know, be the first, whatever insert, random niche uh, significant thing here um just focus on uh working uh, all of us working together and uh being in, in phase two of this community so it's an exciting time and uh hopefully we can all continue to uh you know just work together and uh not diss each other as much hey dennis you stepped up i don't know if you have a quick question and then i want to switch over to xoao to maybe close this out here I just want to say hi. I'm kind of, I joined the uh, community back in the Gary V days when my first one, and I've been watching the community ever since, but now I saw this little dip and I see a lot of hype in the community. Um, I just got my fourth one this week. So just uh, going to be out there a lot more and being involved in the community and spreading the word. So just want to say hi and thank you guys. I'm really excited. We dig the skulls. We love it. Yeah. Excited, man. I seen you've been super active. Uh, yeah, we got, we have a lot of good relationships, so happy to have you. Cool. And trying to get a, a couple of walls for some skulls in New York city area. Should be easy. Yeah. We got to get those murals up. We have a, uh, we have an amazing muralist in uh, Witters. She's a uh, really, really talented. So we're looking forward to getting that done. Thanks Dennis. Hey, XOAO, did you have any final thoughts today? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Quantum, and thanks, Dennis. Yeah, I know we dig the skulls. Um, I'm excited to hear whether the mural is going to be, like, the, keep us up to date on that. Uh, but, yeah, I just want to thank Jake for his time. It's been a really fascinating, um, you know, conversation just to hear about your background, your journey. It's very inspiring. And also, you know, for your love for historical NFTs. And, yeah, I, I just want to echo your, your last message about, uh, you know, being stronger together as a community and you know as, as a historical community we should stick together you know we should we should learn from each other we should help and support each other so yeah i'm really really uh excited really grateful to have you um you know be part of the community and and, and share your knowledge with us so yeah thanks so much for inspiring for us, uh, us today and yeah hope to uh keep in touch and and have more conversations with you in the future thank you yeah, and I'm, I'm excited about the future. Thank you guys for, for bringing me uh, It's been very, very encouraging. 
and uh, I will be there on Friday to hear Alex speak, which I've never done. So uh, that'll be a fun time for historical community and for the schools to push everyone forward. So appreciate all of you guys. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Appreciate you hanging out with us today and Valdi for participating in the discussion. Yeah, definitely stay tuned to the main Crypto Skulls account. We'll have a link for the AMA on Friday going out, um, most likely tomorrow to the space there. So yeah, good to see you all. Thanks for the folks that were able to make it too. This is going to be recorded and we'll um, share the recording out too for those that missed the beginning. Appreciate it. Happy. If you're able, it looks like um, Jake got maybe kicked out. Sorry about that. I was like, I'm going to try this music thing because I guess I got to listen to it. But um, yeah, I guess you have to have your computer going and kind of do a multi-rig situation. But hey, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, what's good, guys? Yeah, I had to, I had to leave and come back. I was getting rugged. It like, would not let me get off mute for a second. So okay. what's up, buddies? Hey, so good to have you here today. Hey, Jake. Yeah, I guess I'll tell you real quick. Yeah, I had a kind of a plan. I was going to play one of Honeycomb's song, kind of been digging into his music. He's a um, just a really talented individual. We hope to have him on a, on a space here in the future. But, you know, beatboxing, piano, uh, DJ, other instruments. So, I don't know. I guess shout out to him and go check him out if you haven't on YouTube.